Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. So we have been going through a series. The series is Life-Giving Lessons, and we've been looking at the parables. Today's parable is going to be Matthew 25, 1 through 13. If you'd like to, go ahead and, well, just please do, go ahead and pull out your Bible, Bible app. Some of you may have memorized it, I don't know. But let's try to get to Matthew 25, 1 through 13. We're going to do the parable of the ten virgins. Um, before we get there, we got some work to do because Jesus doesn't just drop parables for no reason, right? Most of the time there is a huge situation going on, and I think that the situation that brings us to the parable of the ten virgins is really kind of fun, but also quite applicable for a lot of us. Um, and I think that what we're going to see is that this parable is one that provides a challenge, but also brings us a fair amount of hope. And that is something that, we, it, according to all the studies, the world is in short supply of. That the idea of having hope is not one that's super uh, well known. Actually, right now, for the past couple of years, it's been the first time ever that people have thought that next year might be worse than this year. Or maybe the year after. That it's never going to get better. It's never, ever going to get better. And that's just kind of like a general feeling. Not mine. I don't hold that feeling, but it is prevalent within the world right now. So I think this past, this one, this parable is it provides a challenge and gives us hope. So I'm pretty excited about it. So we're not going to start there. We're going to start by talking about Matthew chapter 24. So Jesus has brought his disciples to Jerusalem. They're walking through Jerusalem, maybe their first time ever seeing the temple. And they are walking with the one true God. They're walking with Jesus Christ. Christ, the Son of God. At, in the beginning there was God and he was with them, was the Word and the Word was with, was with them and he is God. So they're walking with God and they're walking past the temple and they are completely awestruck by this building. And I didn't really understand that because I'm from Greenville, South Carolina and there's not a whole lot of really big buildings in Greenville, South Carolina. At least there wasn't when I lived there, you know, like 20 years ago. Um, but the army saw fit to send me to New York City. And I was walking through New York City. I was like, wow, that's big. That's a lot of big stuff. And then we had a meeting and we were looking out across the city. And I was like, I cannot believe things are this big. And then I went to the World Trade Center, uh, went to the Twin Towers um, memorial and I saw the footings that were dug for those and I was like that is gigantic so I, I could finally feel kind of like the disciples did where they were walking and they're walking with Jesus the creator of the world and they're like this is huge and they are just bragging to Jesus about how big this temple is now this is interesting because then Jesus looks at them and says uh not a single stone in this building will rest on top of the other. 
at some point, which is about 70 A.D., not that far, you know, about 40 years from then, that happens where the temple is destroyed and the temple was built of a type of rock that it actually burned. So no stone sat on top of the other stone. Well, that's weird, huh? Who knew? But Jesus said, not a single stone will sit on top of the other stone, and it's going to be destroyed. 70 A.D., it was destroyed. So the disciples, not knowing what to do with the idea of the temple being destroyed, come to Jesus and they say, okay, so when's the end of the world? They make two major mistakes here. And the first one is this, that they, well, we'll talk about that in a second. Jesus has to answer two questions at this point, right? So if they're asking, when's the end of the world? Because I see that the temple is going to be destroyed. So therefore, when the temple is destroyed, that must mean the end of the world. He has two questions to answer. And then also a big problem with the way they think that he has to answer, right? So he has to answer, when's the end of the world? When's the temple going to be destroyed? And why are these two not the same? Why are these two not the same? So the, t the disciples come in with this assumption that God's kingdom is tied to the temple. Can we see any parallels between American Christians here? Can we see any, just by the way, can you see any parallels between Christians in America and these disciples who say, oh man, when the temple's destroyed, that's it. The world's done. There's nothing else to live for. It's over. I don't see, I see like three chaplains shaking their head and the rest of y'all like, I don't see that there's nothing going on here. We, they had tied God's kingdom to a nation. And God's kingdom is not tied to a nation. They're like, Jeremiah, calm down now. You are an army chaplain. Yes, but I'm a pastor. And God's kingdom is not tied to any one nation. Matter of fact, God's kingdom is across the entire world, and it was designed that way. It didn't even start in America, to tell you the truth. Right? It's kind of, kind of completely across the ocean where this whole thing got started. Right? And it made its way over here because God created it in such a way where we were talking about the, 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 the kingdom of God would be like something that spread out across the world. And the disciples, I feel like, making the same mistake that many of us make, saying, nope, our nation is the one that follows God and no one else's nation follows God. And we are, when it's over, we're over. It's over. Game over, man. Call it over. We're done. And God has to, Jesus has to set them straight. Like, listen, the temple's going to be destroyed. There's going to be some time here. And that's not the end of the world. But also, I'm going to answer some of your questions about the end of the world. Okay, so they come in and Jesus says this. Uh, Jesus was... They, so the disciples had a couple of things. One, the end of the world with the temple. The other is that Jesus was there to, del to deliver the immediate context from persecution and hardship. That Jesus had come here and what he was going to do is going to deliver these people, all of the Jews, from persecution and hardship. And then in Matthew 24, starting in verse 9, he says this. 
Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. You're like, gee whiz, this is just a bedtime story I don't want to hear. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. The temples will be destroyed. Jesus, when's the end of the world? Okay, 70 A.D., which he didn't say, but very soon. But after that, many nations will go to war. And all of the world is going to decide to hate Christianity or people who believe in Jesus Christ. And you, disciples, who are talking to me about the end of the world, are going to be persecuted. And you will be killed for my name's sake. And then the word is going to spread across the whole world and people are going to reject it. And it's going to be hard. But once the gospel reaches the whole world, then, then, then I'm going to come back and it'll be done. Right? It's a whole nother view because I feel like the disciples had this view of, okay, Jesus is here. Happy times are here to stay. Hurrah, hooray. And then he says the temple's going to be destroyed. He's like, oh, so that means the end of the world. We're going to come. We're going to have a celebration. Rome's going to get destroyed. Thank goodness. About time. And then happy days until the end of the world. And Jesus says, no, no. It's going to be hard. And it's going to be hard for a long time. But at the end, the whole world is going to come to know Jesus Christ. And why is this important to show? Why is this important to see that Jesus said, no, no, it's going to be hard. It's going to be very hard for a long, long time. And this is my reason for bringing this up to you. Because when I go up to my shops in my battalion and I have certain groups of people there who like to play stump the chaplain it's their favorite game I don't hate it it's kind of fun sometimes one of the things they like to say is well if Jesus came back to destroy sin and death then how come things are hard and one of my responses has to be because he said it would be it's not it's not proving Christianity wrong that things turn out the way Jesus said they would turn out if Jesus shows up and says, okay, tomorrow the, the cloud's going to be orange, and then the next day say, well, if Jesus was real, the clouds wouldn't be orange. He said they would be. He said this is exactly what's going to happen. And if you look at the scriptures and you say, well, what's going on? You say, well, people have rejected the gospel. Oh, if God was in control, it would end up exactly the way he said he, it would. Don't you think? He said people are going to reject the gospel. And people have rejected the gospel. He said you're going to be persecuted. And then we have been persecuted. Not here. I mean, this is super easy. But across the world, people have been persecuted. People being mad at you because you believe in Jesus is not persecution. It's just the way it is. Okay? And he says it's going to get really hard. And the next thing they thought was that Jesus had come to bring victory to the Jews. But Jesus came to be bring victory over sin and death for the whole world. That is in... Then let me just, well, we have, uh, sorry, I just messed up my own notes. So then they say, well, we've got you here. So tell me, 
Making fun of me for using a computer? Okay. <laughs> You've got what you hear, then tell us when the end of this world is. And he says, no. Here's the truth. I don't know when the end of the world is going to come. You're like, yeah, but you're God. He says, but I don't know the day or the hour or the end of the world. So you come to the, my main ideas, and this is it. If you get these two things, you're already on track for the whole sermon. You ready? Verse 36 of chapter 24 says this, But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So when's the end of the world? I don't know. It's just like Chaplain Ronalds has been telling us. It's like the wedding feast the, when the, uh, a, a boy wants to marry a woman, where a guy wants to marry a woman, he would go to the woman and they would negotiate how, whether or not they could get married. They'd get married and then he'd have to go back and build a home, right? And they would build a home for the bride. And we are Jesus' bride, the church. And he would build that home for the bride, and, they, and people would come around, and they would say, when's the bride coming? When are you going to get the bride? He'd be like, only the father knows. Because the guy who built the house, his dad would come in and tell him whether or not the home was ready to receive the bride. And who knows that the church has been called the bride of Christ. So when he says this, only the father knows, this is what he's alluding to. He says, I'm going to go build a place for you. And then the Father will know when it's ready, and only the Father knows. And then verse 44, therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. When's it going to happen? I don't know. It is going to happen, so you have to be ready. So this is our parable. After saying that, here is our parable. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with the lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all, all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for the lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealer and buy for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour. So it's like uh, this really weird parable. Like, okay, so we've got ten women, all of them virgins, and their job is to light the way, light the path, I'm assuming because we don't know much about this ceremony. Actually, this ceremony doesn't really match a lot of the ceremonies we do know. So our assumption is that their job is to light the path for the bridegroom to come in and meet the bride. And once they've lit the path, they get to come into the feast and enjoy their time with the bridegroom and the bride. Okay? That's their job. Five of them, all ten of them brought lamps. All ten of them were waiting 
five of them prepared for the eventuality that he would take longer than he ought to, or than they thought he ought to, and the other five didn't. It came time for them to go. Five of them were out of oil. Five of them stayed and got to go in and hang out, right? So what do we learn from this parable? And I think point number one, and I think this is really important, my point number one is this. Jesus is coming back, and we are the torchbearers. And you say, yeah, that seems to be the point number one. And this, but this is it. I feel as though, and this is me, this is me just talking to Christians for a long time, that I feel as though we have lost this hope of the return of Jesus Christ. Now, you talk to some of the older generation. You go be a pastor at a church, and you got like the young generation, and then you got the old generation, and then you got me which is like the older young generation. And if you argue with me about it, I'm still young. I don't care what you say, right? But in the, in the world, the older young generation. In the army, ancient. But in the world, older, older young generation, okay? And if you talk to the older generation, they will say things like, come Jesus, come. Any, oh, I just pray for the come of Jesus Christ, right? And you're like, man, that's, I don't hear that from a lot of places. But this older generation, they're just looking forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. You're like, yes, because they're old, they're about to die. No, that's because they've been thinking that way since they were children. Since they were children. During World War II, it was the number one thing that people hoped for. During World War II, a time where people had reason to not have hope, there was massive hope for the coming of Jesus Christ. It was a massive part of the hope of the world is that Jesus may come back and we won't have to do this anymore. But it's going to be better because I'm hoping for the coming of Jesus Christ. I feel as though we are not living in this reality of Christianity in a way that is, is good, in a way that is what the gospel calls us to, in a way that produces hope. I think we say, well, if I just live a good life, maybe I'll die and go to heaven. Well, that, one, you need Jesus Christ to get to heaven. It is his righteousness that gets you to heaven. You say, well, I can just grind through this Christian life long enough, or all these really good things. But I, have, I, I honestly, in anybody under 40 years old, I've not seen an awful lot of come Jesus, come. May, the, may, may, may Jesus come and his will be done, right? But this is a m truth that is in the scripture. What, and if you are a note taker, I don't know if I have these for you. If you are a note taker, pull your pens out. I'm going to throw some Bible verses at you, and you can be ready to go look them up afterwards, okay? But if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, you can read the whole chapter. 1 Thessalonians 4. 2 Thessalonians 1, Titus 2, Philippians 3, 20 through 21, the entire chapter of Matthew 24, just to name a very few. If you look throughout the whole scriptures, all the way back to the book of Daniel, the idea that Jesus would come back is a prevalent message within the gospel. What does it say? When Jesus returns, it's not going to be a secret, guys. You didn't miss it on accident. Jesus didn't return, and you missed the, the happening. Right? The rapture didn't happen, and you're like, ah, oh, I, I was a little late. No, it says that when Jesus returns, it's going to be like a loud horn blown, like lightning across the sky, that people are going to know. 
It is going to be a world event that no one is going, oh, I wonder what just happened. Okay, I, nothing for nothing about the Left Behind movies, but people aren't just going to be falling out of the sky and people will be like, what happened? If, if people are disappearing, it's going to be because the whole world sees that Jesus returned, if that's the way it happens. It is not going to be a secret. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 52, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, Titus 2, 13. I'm not just pulling this out. When Jesus returns, it's going to be a public and massive event. It won't be confusing. And no one's going to be like, well, maybe it's this guy at Waco, Texas. No, it's going to be a giant event. What's going to happen when this happens? The dead will rise. The living will be transformed. 1 Corinthians, again, Philippians 3.20, 1 Thessalonians 4.17. That the, those who are dead, and there's this massive movement of, oh, I, I, I don't know, what about the people who are dead? Will they get to be, experience this? Yeah, it says the dead's going to rise, and the living are going to get their new bodies. It's going to be a massive massive undertaking and it's going to be good news for all who believe in Jesus Christ but according to Matthew 24 for those who do not believe in Jesus Christ they're gonna be like oh no oh that's bad right because if you've been playing for a team and you thought you were on the winning team and then a giant comes out to play for them you go oh no if all of a sudden you've lost you say oh no Right? So when Jesus returns, all those nations, all those people who did not believe in Jesus Christ, their response is going to be, oh, that's bad. Actually, it says they're going to try to hide under the mountains. Right? This is bad. But for all of those who believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, this is good news. Guys, this is good news. Thank you. Jesus is going to return and we are going to meet him in heaven. We are going to be ushered into his bridal party. He, he, as the bridegroom, is going to welcome us as the bride into heaven. And this is the answer I get. Oh, yeah, yeah, that might happen. I hope so. No, this is good news. And I think this is part of the issue. We don't, yeah, well, that's, that's later. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. Jesus will come back when we least expect it. Let me tell you this. If somebody tells you that Jesus is coming back September 22nd, 2020-something, I can promise you that that's the day that Jesus will not come back. Okay? Why? Because the Bible has made it very clear that no man knows the day or the hour of Jesus' return. What was the old book? Uh, 44 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1980. 88 reasons why Jesus is going to turn in 88. If you had been reading your Bible, you would know for a fact that in 1988, Jesus was not going to return. Because he says, no man knows the day and the hour of when he's return. What does that mean? What does it mean that no man knows? That means that if you don't know, it might be tomorrow. Or it might be in year 3027. Right? No man knows. So if somebody is telling you, Oh, well, Jesus is coming back in 2024. Prob probably should just live prepared anyways, right? Jesus will gather his church unto himself, Matthew 24, 31. This will be the sign, 
2 Thessalonians 2.8, this will be the sign that Jesus is the victor over sin and death. Complete and utter victory. It says that when Jesus, when the gospel has reached the whole world, when Jesus has put his enemies under his feet like a footstool, then he will return. When Jesus returns, that means he has won. Let me tell you the truth. Jesus has defeated sin and death. The world is his, and when he comes back, it is him demonstrating his victory over the whole world. Now, what's the problem here? Why do I see this as being such a big deal? Is that we don't have hope in America overall. We don't have hope with many Christians I speak to as a chaplain. I'm speaking to Christians as a chaplain, and they are coming to me as if there is nothing to look forward to. And I am saying, do you not know that you are redeemed by Jesus Christ? That the world is going to be completely a complete victory for Jesus. That you are going to be brought up to him either at the rapture or after you die. That this is good news that you have more to look forward to than the richest man who doesn't know Jesus. That you are more wealthy in spirit, you are more wealthy in hope, you are more wealthy in reasons to have joy, you have more to offer the world than the richest man without Jesus Christ. And they look at me and they're like, I guess. No, guys, this is the good news. The gospel is that God created the world, that he sent his only son through that of a virgin, that he came to this world and he put himself on the cross to die for you, didn't leave it there, came back and then said, guys, I'm coming back, live as if I'm coming back. That's the gospel. What's the word gospel mean? The good news. I feel like we should start living as if that's good news, not something to apologize for. Not something to walk around the world as if, well, I, I, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those Christians. No, we should live as if we have a gospel that is good news. It is happy stuff. We should wake up in the morning and say, I am beloved by God. I think of my son Jackson. I don't know what it is about Hawaii. But my family has been sicker here than we have ever been in Everdom. In Everdom. So he was sick again. And he started looking at me and he's like, I just want to go to heaven. I just, I just want, he was coughing, he had a fever, he, everything hurt on him. And he just looks at me, I just want to go to heaven. I'm like, I, I, ooh, what do I do with this statement here? Because there's an awful lot of truth there, but also I want him to stick around for a while. So... What do I do with this statement? There should be a desire to go to heaven. What did Paul say? Paul said that to die is gain, but to live is, what is it? To live is Christ, but to die is gain. That living here is our opportunity to share the gospel, bring happiness and good news to other people. But to die is to go to be with Jesus Christ. Well, the rapture, Nix is the middleman. Right? Shouldn't, isn't this something? We'd be like, oh, this is good news. Jackson looks at me and goes, I just, I just want to go to heaven. I have a friend who has had multiple heart surgeries. Multiple heart surgeries. He's, he's, um, he's been widowed. He's buried most of the people he's ever known. Uh, he and I are very close friends. He shares the gospel. He is a great pastor. And he tells me, he's like, I'm homesick. 
I'm homesick for heaven. There's a lot of pain here, but to live is Christ, but I am looking forward to seeing my heavenly Father. Verse 14, <coughs> let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, oh, I forget the, I'm just going to read this to you. My Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And where I am, you will be also. Jesus says, your hope is here and that is reflected in the old hymn i don't know if you guys ever heard any hymns but this one's a good one my hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness on christ the solid rock i stand all other ground is sinking sand when darkness veils his lovely face i rest in his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil his oath his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, so faultless to stand before the throne. This is the hope of our belief. That we can stand before Jesus Christ, either when this we are done with this world or when Christ brings us home. And we can stand there, not clothed in what we are, but in Jesus' righteousness. And that our hope is built on that. That's our hope. So there's your hope. Your hope is that this world is not the end. This world isn't even a portion of the end. If you think of eternity and you live to be 120 years and 120 of those years were hard, how much of eternity did you burn? None. You have eternity with Jesus Christ. Eternity in the presence of those who love the Lord. Eternity. You say, well, what's so great about heaven? It's not, I don't, I'm not, I don't need to talk to you about streets of gold. I need to talk to you about that, the one we will be with, and the one we will be without. We will be with the creator of love, justice, peace, hope, joy, patience, all the, 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 the fruits of the Holy Spirit, and we will be without the creator of pain. We will be out without sin, and we will be with him. That is our hope. So what is Jesus saying in this parable? Point number two. We must live prepared for Jesus' return. I want you to think about the ten virgins. Five came with extra oil and five did not bring extra oil. Right? Five were, all ten of them were there. Right time, right uniform, right job. Right? They were there to do the job. They were there on time. Only five of them said, I need to be prepared for this to happen. I need to have more preparation for this to happen. And those five got left outside. Right? Those five got left outside of the fun times that were to come. 
And I think about someone who's going on a trip. Because here, here's what I think. Is going to be with Jesus Christ for eternity, is going to be with the saints and those who love Jesus Christ, is being pulled out of this world in order to be in perfection for eternity, good news to you. Or would you just rather he held off a little longer? Would you rather wait? I think about the, the, the kid in one of my youth groups, and you'll know where th this is going. One of my youth groups, I said, the rapture, I don't know when it's going to happen. I think there's going to be things that happen here and here and here and here. And he says, man, I hope, I hope he waits another five, six years. I was like, why? He goes, well, I'm not married yet, so I got some things I want to do before I go to heaven. If you know what I mean. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Have you lost your mind? What are you putting over the, 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 the perfection of Jesus Christ? Right? What have you placed in this place? And I think about someone, I, I travel a bit as the 303 EOD chaplain. A, a bit for me is just a little bit for my BC, but a bit for me. And I want you, when you're preparing for a trip, you tell me how you prepare for a trip you're looking forward to. You have a trip that you're looking forward to. I cannot wait for this trip. When are your bags packed? In advance. How much do you pack? Too much. Or you're that like new soldier who has been who has started out with like five bags and in order to impress all of his friends has whittled it down to nothing he needs at all and then has just showed up out there hoping someone else will take care of him. But really what he's done is he's just labored over how to not look like the guy that packed too much, right? When you have a trip that you're looking forward to, what do you do? You prepare and you prepare and you prepare and you prepare. When you have a trip you don't want to go on, what do you do? You show up with your bag six hours before the plane's leaving and just start cramming stuff in there like, I hope I make it. This is experience talking. My first trip, I had three bags going through the airport. My most recent trip, I had a bag and a half and maybe enough toiletries, right? And that was because one trip I was like, oh, man, Alaska. This last trip I was like, oh, no, this is going to be hard. I think the reason we are not living prepared for Jesus Christ is maybe we don't value what Jesus values. Maybe his value of the church being pulled unto himself to know and be known by him for eternity is not your value. And I'm going to tell you the truth. Here's a little secret. That's not Jesus' problem. It's yours. That's not a problem with Jesus' values. That's a problem with us having a hard time deciphering what is good and what is not good. There are many times where I think, I don't know, I kind of like the world right now. But good news is that Jesus is coming. And that he will rapture us to himself for all eternity. What do you think is the average? You tell me. What do you think is the average in Christianity? 
for the ones that you meet? Is it, I can't wait to go to see Jesus? Or is it, I sure hope Jesus does what I ask him to do? And where is your heart on that? Where is your, where is your perspective? As you're preparing, here's the thing I want you to know, this, this right here. No one can prepare for you. As those, as those ladies were trying to get ready, five of them were prepared, five of them were not prepared. The five that were not prepared, what did they do? Immediately, they went up to the ones who were prepared and said, can I take some of your preparation? And they said, I ain't got any preparation to give you. You got to go back and figure it out on your own. We, as those who follow Jesus Christ, no one can prepare for you. There are no pastors that are good enough. There are no Bible study leaders that are good enough. There are no small groups that are good enough to out-prepare you being excited to see the Lord Jesus Christ. They can't do it for you. You are going to have to be the one who works, walks towards that. We cannot chew the food for you. We cannot do the Bible study for you. You say, well, I don't know where I am. Where am I on this? Let me ask you something. When's the last time you broke your Bible open? Outside of a Sunday. When's the last time you were on your knees asking the Lord for, for anything? When's the last time you shared the gospel to, in any context? You can make that judgment. Are you preparing? I don't know. I haven't read my Bible. I don't pray and I don't share the gospel. Maybe you're the one that's sitting there with a lamp but no oil. Right? That is where we need to be. And just point number three, and I, this one's not as much fun. As those ladies who did not have oil showed up to the door and said, let me in, let me in. What did Jesus, what did the, what did the bridegroom say? I don't know you. Well, it's the exact same phrase as Matthew 7, 21. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. As I close, here's my question. Do you know him? And does he know you? We're talking about Jesus. Do you know him? There is a wonderful time in the future happening. What day? I don't know. Could be tomorrow. Could be 3075. I don't know, right? But there is a wonderful day coming. And we who know Jesus have hope in that day, but the ones who don't get to come in, they're the ones who don't know him. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I don't know you. Do you know him? If you don't know him, you have six chaplains in this room who cannot wait to share him with you. I promise you that. I promise you, you come up, you talk to me, you talk to somebody and say, I want to be there when Jesus pulls us to him. 
I want to be in that time, but I don't know that I know him. I promise you, we would love to talk to you about that. And the beautiful thing about it is that can be sorted out today. So don't be the ones who at the end of it all comes up to the door and Jesus says, I don't know you. Praise man, come on up, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord. I guess, the, I guess what, Lord Jesus, come. We pray for your return. And we pray for your will to be done. Bless us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.